Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. We have been, been discussing over the last few weeks praying for revival, and, and I want to I wanna actually take a, a couple of seconds this morning and, and, and pray for that. And, um, but we've, we've been, before we get started that, we've been bat- talking about battling the delusion of this age because there are spirits of delusion in the world, and they are running rampant. All you have to do is watch the news, read, well, I don't know who would want to read a newspaper anymore, it's hard to tell what's news and what's editorial, but if you read about what's going on in the world, it's um, um, it's like the world's just gone crazy. Well, they have. Um, uh, Paul said it in in Second um, Timothy that in the last days perilous times will come, times of great stress, times of great problems. And those times are upon us. We, are, we have been in the last days since Jesus came out of the grave. But we are at the very end of the last days. At the very end. Uh, but there is, only, there is only one thing that has to happen for, for the rapture. There's only one prophecy that needs to be fulfilled. That's the shout and the trumpet. That's it. Everything else is finished. So what, how do we, how do we uh, uh, approach this, this delusion of the age? Well, we have two fronts. First, we have to pray for revival, which when you, uh, just to put it simply, it's praying for God to show up, praying for God's uh, manifest power to be, ma- be there in your midst, and in, in not just in church services, but with you every day as you go. And then the second is to, to pray against these delusions but first and foremost, I have to pray against the, the delusions that are coming against me and ask God, am I being deluded in anything, these things? We're going to look at the list that Paul listed in, in 2 Timothy 3 today. And there, there is evidence from the scriptures, from the New Testament, that even as believers, we can get caught up in some of those things. And we need to judge our own hearts and get our own, get our own hearts clean. But first, the, the, the very first thing we, we do need to do is pray. And the prayer that, that I have, have, that Lord's brought me to, is out of Acts 4, verse 29 and 30, where this was when uh, Peter and John had been arrested for after they healed the lame man. They went in, the, the Sanhedrin said, quit preaching in the name of Jesus. And they said, well, you give us a choice. Who are we going to obey, you or God? If you have a choice between anybody and a God as far as obeying, you better obey God. There's only one, there's only one person that's ever died for you. His name was Jesus. He sits on the throne, and you do what he tells you to do, no matter what the cost. Because there is no cost that's greater than obeying Jesus. But in, in Acts 4, when, when Peter and John went back to the church... This was the result of the, of the meeting. And verse 29 said, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants, this is their request of God, that with all boldness they may speak your word. 
ask, we're asking that us, as a group of Christians, will have boldness to preach the word. And that you, this is the second part, by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This is a, 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 a little bit of an expansion, or it could even be considered a, a summation, of Mark 16, 20. The, the church went out after Jesus gave the Great Commission, and Mark said they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. With them. We are his feet, we are his hands, we are his voice in this world. Jesus doesn't do things in the world apart from his body. We are his body. They went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word through the accompanying signs. That's what we need to pray for. Let's just do it. Father, we just come right now. We ask in the name of Jesus that you would give us as your children, as your body, boldness to speak your word. Not just preachers in the pulpit, but boldness as we go about our everyday duties. <clears throat> as we go and to the market, as we go to the bank, as we go to all of the things that we do. Give us words to speak to people that, that you can back up. Help us to apply the word and pray for people and, and, and share the gospel with people and share what Jesus is doing in our lives. And as we share that, Father, we are believing that the Holy Spirit is going to back those words up and confirm them with miracles if need be. And we thank you for it, Father, and we believe that it's happening to us even now. Now, there's no reason you shouldn't be praying that every day, multiple times a day, every time the Lord brings it to your heart. You need to ask God. God, God is a gentleman. He just does not come in and force you to do He gave us free will. He asks us to cooperate with him and be his hands, feet, and voice. But if we decide not to, if we decide to go our own way, he will allow us to go our own way, and he will not back up what you do and what you say. There will be no power in it. I have an out on the, the Welcome Center, there's a whole stack of Paul's prayers. And I've encouraged you, and I'm going to continue to encourage you. You need to pray these prayers. And I'm just going to pray, I'm going to dissect one of them here a little bit. In, in Colossians 1.9, we're just going to read verse 9 and 10. And just look at this. This is Paul praying for the church at Colossae. He has just heard from, uh, probably from Timothy or someone else, that, that, that they are walking in love and walking in faith. And he says, as a result of that, in verse 9, he says, For this reason, we also, since the day we heard of it. What did he hear? He heard you're walking in love and walking in faith. Since the day we heard you were doing that, we do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He made one request for this church. I want you to be filled with the, the, the knowledge of God, the Greek word there for knowledge, the normal everyday word for, for knowledge in Greek is, is gnosis, where we get our word to know. But this is not gnosis here. This is a word called epinosis. Epi means above and beyond. So he's saying, I don't want you to just have a normal knowledge of God. I want you to have a supernatural, experiential knowledge of God. If you have a friend, you think you know this friend, 
I will challenge you, move in to an apartment with them for a month. And after 30 days, you will say, I didn't know anything about them. Now I'm starting to get to know them. Husbands and wives know this. You be married to, to someone for 20, 30 years, you're finally starting to get to know them. Now they may surprise you occasionally. This is what Paul's asking. I want you to have a, 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 an intimate, full, complete knowledge of who God is. But why does he want that? Just so we can say, ooh, I know God. No, there, verse 10 goes into to the results of that knowledge. He says, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. The result of knowing God is that you, ha you ha walk worthy. Your life is worthy of the calling. I want to do that. That you will be fully pleasing to him. That you will, will be fruitful in all your good works. God has created us. Paul said in Ephesians, we were created for good works. And then the fourth thing, and this is the great part, that you would increase in your knowledge of God. Same word for knowledge, epinosis. So I, I, I know God intimately, then I can have a, a walk worthy of him, then I can be fully pleasing to him, then I can be fruitful in all of my good works, and then my knowledge will increase. And if it increases, then my, worthy, my walk increases, and then my pleasing increases, and my being fruitful increases, and then I get more knowledge. It's, a, it, it's the process of sanctification. I get better and better and better as I get deeper knowledge, but it's not book knowledge. It's experiential walking with God and knowing God's voice and following God's voice and being able to do all of these things because of who he is and what he's saying to you. Amen? But then there are some things that we need to avoid, some things that will, will compete with the voice of God, compete with that knowledge. And Paul listed these out. In 2 Timothy 3, we're going to start in verse 1. He says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Perilous times, literally, probably one of the best modern definitions is times of great stress. You're going to have problems confronting you from every direction. We're there. At the end... If you drop down to verse 5, when he, because he's going to describe in the next uh, verses, in verse 2, 3, and 4, he's going to describe the people of this time. But he says, avoid the people that have a form of godliness but deny its power. His, his point in all of this is these are things that you can recognize in people. Avoid people like this. Avoid people that say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but you know, God loves me. And my, my lifestyle, my behavior won't change God's love. Well, it won't. Do you realize that God loves Lucifer? Loves Satan? He loves him. He's incapable of doing anything else. He is love. That does not mean he won't consign him to hell for all eternity. He loves everyone. But how, how, the question is not, does God love me? The question is, how do I respond to that love? And what do I do to be fully pleasing to him? How can I walk in a way that honors what Jesus did for me? 
That's the question that I have. And what I, the, the reason I said that we have to really look at these and be, be careful about these is because if you look at, at, at 2 Peter, and I'm going to go over and just touch this, in 2 Peter, verse 7 and 8, he's talking about Lot, Abraham's nephew. Remember, Lot was born in Ur of the Chaldees. It was a city that worshipped idols. It was known for its idol worship. And, and they... Abraham left, Lot's father died, so Abraham took in Lot as his, and raised him as a son. They went to, to Jerusalem, or the Holy Land. They're living in, in there, and they were living near or up in the hills where you overlook the plain where Sodom, Gomorrah, and there were other cities down there also. And Lot, it says that, that when, when Abraham and Lot's herds grew, God blessed them so much that they, they, they were starting to crowd each other out, and they, their herdsmen were getting in conflict. And Abraham came to Lot, and he said, Look, here, we're going to divide this up. There's the plains down there that are well-watered and grassy, and there's the hills up here that have grass. You're going to have to work a little harder to take your flocks and find it. You choose either the plains or the hills. Well, Lot, it, in, if you go back in, in Genesis and read that, it, before that it says Lot set his tent towards Sodom. Meaning that when Lot camped, he put his door towards Sodom. And part of the reason was he remembered his childhood. And I don't know about you, but my childhood memories, I'll, have, I'll walk into old buildings sometimes because we, we went to older churches. And there was a smell to these churches. I don't know what it was. But every once in a while, when I walk in an old building, I'll get that same smell. And man, I'm a five-year-old kid at First Baptist Church, Jeffersontown, Kentucky. I mean, it just brings a flood of emotions and memories back. Things I didn't even know I remembered. Well, when Lot looked at Sodom, he had childhood memories of being in Ur with his mom and his dad and his family. And he had a desire to go there. So he took the planes, and eventually Lot kept moving his tent closer and closer and closer. And before it was done, he lived in Sodom, living amongst these heathen. And boy, I'm telling you what, they will make San Francisco and Las Vegas and any place else on the earth that you can imagine. They pale. The day, places today pale compared to what Sodom did. But notice how the Holy Spirit, through Peter, describes Lot. He says, verse 7, in 2 Peter 2, verse 7, And he delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the women. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Three times in two verses, the Holy Spirit, through Peter, says that Lot, living there, watching these people. We don't know how much he participated, if he participated at all, but we know he lived there voluntarily. He didn't have to live there. But he was righteous. Now, if Lot could be righteous and, and living in the midst of, of this city, then we are capable, when we read through 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 2, about this, the description of, of of people that are out in the world in this perilous time, we are capable of having these same thought patterns. And I, I said all that to say, judgment begins at the house of God. And for me, judgment begins in my heart. I have to judge my heart. 
And I have to examine my heart and say, God, is any of this in me? If it is, then I have to judge it, and I have to take it before God and say, Lord, this thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to flow in some of this. Even as a righteous, born-again, spirit-filled Christian, I can still manifest the works of the devil. I can think like the devil. And I'm called to judge my behavior against who, what, what Paul is saying here and to avoid it, walk away from it. Amen? So as we go here, and keep in mind, this is, um, I'm not saying that, the, that you are all of these or any of these. I'm saying that you, that you have the capacity to do all of these, and you need to examine yourself, draw near to God. I went through uh, Colossians 1.9, what, what you want to pray. We, you need to get those prayers of, of Paul Pray Colossians 1.9. Pray the prayer out of Ephesians 1 and the prayer out of Ephesians 3. Declare those things over you. This is who you say I am, Jesus, and I'm going to manifest these things. And when you do that, you will see some of these things. You might have been thinking along these lines. They might have manifested in your life, but you will see them begin to drop away. If you're old enough, you probably remember that old imperial song about the chains falling away as they go through. Love that song. But I found that to be true. When Gina and I went to Ramah the first time, we, we went to uh, Grace Fellowship, was our home church there, and Pastor Bob Yandian was our pastor. And you got preached the word Sunday night, Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I mean, he taught, he taught, he taught, he taught. And we found, and then we, we go to class every day at school and get taught faith every day. And we found behaviors, thought patterns, things just we'd realize I, we didn't try to get rid of this. It just disappeared. It's not part of our life anymore. Things that we used to desire, things that we, 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 we struggled with, suddenly they're not a struggle. They're just gone. Why? Because we immersed ourselves in the Word, and the Word judged us, and some of it, it just fell off. God took care of it as we surrendered to His Word. Amen? So as we go through these, ask yourself, do I have any of this? Verse 2, go back to 2 Peter 3. We're just going to go through these kind of quickly. Some of them we may stop and talk a little bit about. But Verse 2 says, For men will be lovers of themselves. That's Genesis 3-4. That's the fall. In Genesis 3-4, Adam and Eve basically just decided, I'm going to be God of my own universe. You know the, the um, um, old Frank Sinatra song, I did it my way. I've tried it my way. I usually end up pretty messed up when I try it my way. That's what these, and, 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 and part of the problem is um, they, when, when people get caught up in this, and, 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 and we should love ourselves. Remember, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. So there, you have to have a balance in this. You can't be a safe hater, a self-hater. You can't be a, a um, um, you can't constantly condemn yourself. If, you, if all you ever, when you look in your heart, if all you ever see is sin, then you need to correct that thinking. Because you are born again. You are, you are filled with God's Spirit. You are holy on the inside. But we have to judge our, our thinking and our behavior. Um, when I think of this, I think of 1 John 4, 7 through 8. 
Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. When we talked about this last week. You can be born of God and not know God. You may know Him as your Savior. You may declare He's my Lord, but you really don't know His ways. You really don't know Him the way Paul prayed that we would know Him in, in Colossians 1.9. That's why we need to continually pray that. God, I want to know you. I want to know you. But when you pray it and you strive for it, God will open himself up to you. God is not holding back anything. He desires more than anything. Come in and know me. That's why I love the the story in Zechariah about Satan brings uh, Joshua the high priest into, into God's presence and says, look at this. That high priest is standing there with manure all over himself. Filthy. You didn't come into God's presence. Dirty. You high priest came into the Holy of Holies, wasn't clean. You're gone. And yet in Zechariah, God, in, God allows him to come in and he cleans him up in the throne room. That's why um, um, Paul said in Hebrews, come boldly before the throne of grace to find grace and help in time of need. That's where we get cleaned up, is in his throne room. Now, you don't go in callously. You don't go in flippantly. But you do, go, you do go in boldly because you have a right to be there. You are his child. And you need to realize that. The second one says, they're lovers of money. Now, <clears throat> money is a touchy subject. I've never avoided it. I had some people criticize me over the years for not avoiding it. But money represents our lives. And if your whole life revolves around the love of money, then your priorities are wrong. Paul said that it, it, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil, not money. Money is simply a tool. That, that same, um, um, well, the little cartoon I put in the bulletin this morning, this is not a drill. I put that in for, for two reasons. One, I thought it was cute, thought it was funny. But the second one was, when we're speaking of life, this is not a drill. This is real. This is our test. This is, this, is, this is our life, what I'm doing, how I think, what I say, how I operate, is reality. And I need, if I'm a hammer looking for nails, occasionally I'll find a nail, occasionally I might find a baby. Hammers are great for nails, they're not so good for babies. So it, it's not the tool that's the problem. It's my attitude towards the tool. People that are lovers of money think basically their mindset is money brings good things, so I want all the money I can get. And when I get it, I'm going to get all I can. I'm going to can all I get, and I'm going to sit on the can. It's the old version of the miser. Sits and counts his gold coins. No, money is simply a tool. You trade your life for money because you have to have money to buy food, to eat. You have to have shelter. You have to have clothes. You have to pay your bills. Money is a necessity of life. But the, the root of that money is that, that, well, Jesus said it, Matthew 6. Let me start in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys 
where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 21 is probably one of, one of the more misquoted verses in the Bible. It does not say that your treasure will follow your heart. It says your heart will follow your treasure. If I, if I want to know where your heart is, all i got to do is look at your checkbook. What you spend money on, I'm talking beyond the necessities. What you spend money on is where your heart will go. If you're all about filling up that bank account and getting security and getting security, Jesus told the story of the man who's had the bountiful harvest, and he said, well, let's build more barns and fill up the barns. And that night, he died. And when he went before heaven, or went before God, it's like, what does it, what does it profit you to gain the whole world but lose your soul? Now, money, don't misunderstand me. Money's between you and God, but I'm telling you, where your treasure is, where your priority for money is, is where your heart will follow. If, you're, if your whole attitude towards money is, I want to earn as much money as I can so I can give as much into the gospel as I can, then God's, God's right behind you, blessing you. If you're, if you're trying to earn money out of fear, out of any other motivation, I don't know that God will bless it. He may to a degree, he may not to some degree. <clears throat> This, the, the, the next one there. It says, men will be lovers of themselves. They will be lovers of money. They will be boasters. L literally, the picture that, that the Greek word here for boasters paints is patent medicine showman. Got a miracle cure. Buy these pills. Take one pill, you'll lose 10 pounds in the next week. I mean, if, if, you, if you do anything on the Internet, you'll have ads every once in a while to pop up. And, and there'll be the miracle cure for this. Drink this one thing and it'll just burn, you'll just burn fat like crazy. You don't have to restrict anything else. You're just going to get thin. Those are hucksters, and that's what the Bible's talking about here for boasters. Making claims for things that, um, that they have, they're, they're really, it's deceptive. They're making deceptive claims. They're trying to put on an air and usually, in my experience, people that, that, uh, that put on airs like that, 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 you know, look what I can do, I'm this, I'm that, and they have a great facade, they do it because inside they don't have a lot of confidence. And the less confidence you have, the more you boast, the more you, you put something forward because you're trying to convince yourself. Jesus, or, or Paul said it in Ephesians 2, we are his workmanship. That is the Greek word poema. We are God's poem, each one of us. He fashioned us the way he wanted us. We are his workmanship, and we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should boast, or that we should walk in them. God created us the way he wants us to be. Now, sin has marred us for sure. But, but even if sin has marred us, we, we still have at our core what, what Jesus has done for us. And he created us the way he created us because how he created us fits the work that he wants us to do. 
why years ago, you know, people would, would, would occasionally say, well, you know, we had, we had this invitation, and, you know, especially when they were talking about foreign missions, and, and did God speak to you or say anything to you when, during this prayer time and during this ministry time? And people would say, oh, I don't know that I could surrender to God in that area, because what if he called me to Africa? What if he called me to go to China? What if he called me to go to South America? You know what the first thing God would do if he called you to go into any of those places? He would drop a heart in you where you would not be satisfied any place else. God will give you the desires of your heart. There are two ways of interpreting that scripture. I have a desire to do this and God's going to fulfill it. That's one way. The other way is that God's going to drop godly desires down in my heart. That's what I pray. I pray for God, you give me a desire for what you want me to do and what you want me to accomplish. And then once I get his desire on the inside of my heart, then I got, he, he's already said, this is where I want you to go. He's got a big checkbook. I'll pay you the way. I'll pave the way and pay the way for you to get where I want you to get to. That's what we need to don't don't you don't have to put on airs, you don't have to boast about what all God's doing in your life. Just believe God to use you and to tell you what he wants out of you. Amen. And then after after that the the boasters, it's the next group are the proud. These I mean, proud is pretty self-evident, but there is an arrogance in, in this word. They, the people that, that display this, they consider themselves to be the elite. They're, they're the ones that walk in and, you know, look around and say, well, you know, obviously I'm the smartest guy in the room. But then there's a second trait to it. And, I, and, and I'm, again, I don't want to get, try to get political here, but it's such a great example, I can't pass it up. Every year, probably multiple times a year, you will see conferences held all over the world on global warming, and all of these important people are going to come and talk about how we're going to save the planet. And, and, and every one of them they have at, the, at the, 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 the baseline of how we're going to solve the problem is we need to reduce our carbon footprint. We need to quit burning so much oil. And how do every one of them get to these big meetings? I hop on a big fat jet, and usually it's a private jet, and they fly there. And they burn more oil in one trip than most of us will burn in a year. Well, how can you justify that? If that's the root problem of the cause, how do you just... Because we're important, and we're the elites, and we need to get together to show the rest of you how you need to live. But don't, don't, don't ask me to bear that burden. <laughs> yeah, right. Why don't you try leading by example? Jesus said this, Matthew 23, verse 1. Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do but do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. The proud person says, this is what everybody needs to do. But you examine their life and they're not doing it. 
The principle here is that, and I, I joked about this with Mr. Bricky yesterday morning. Several weeks ago, I, I put him on the spot, and I demanded that he teach me Russian. And I hadn't told him beforehand, which I probably need to warn people before I pull tricks on them in the middle of a, a sermon. But his, his, there was a little bit of panic on his face. And he, couldn't, he can't teach me Russian because he doesn't know Russian. You can, the, the, the problem with, with proud people, and remember, this is a temptation for us. I know this. I saw this in the Bible. I read a book about this. I read a book where this guy really understands this process and really understands the Bible and the languages behind here. And he says, do this. So I'm telling everybody they need to do it, but I haven't done it myself yet. If God tells you to, to, to start doing something and to start sharing with people about we need to do this, then you need to start walking it out in your, in your own life first. And you run into all of the problems because once you tell somebody else how to do it, they're, when they run into problems, they're probably going to come to you and say, I've been trying that and I, I got problem after problem after problem. I can't get that done. How did you solve that problem? Well, I haven't. I'm not doing it myself yet. Now, there is a balance to that. God will always show you, tell you to do things that some of it, you'll never get it perfected. It's just start the journey. As Andrew Womack, I heard him say years ago, he said, you know, I haven't arrived, but I am on the train. At least get on the train. Get on the train and show, people, show other people how you got on the train and invite them on the train with you. Or get off the train, grab their arm, and walk them back on the train. That is usually the best way to do it. The next one, blasphemers. Usually when, when you think of a blasphemer, uh, um, you think of someone that hurls insults at, at, at God. But this one is a little more general. It, blasphemy definitely is. If, you, you know, if you're insulting God and you're speaking ill of God, uh, which a lot of, of unbelievers do, uh, that, that would qualify. But remember... Lot was a righteous man, and he still was operating in a lot of this. So we can, and in, in this sense, we can, can um, be a blasphemer simply by wanting to look towards natural things constantly. We don't first look and say, what does God want? What, how does God say this problem ought to be addressed? A blasphemer looks at, their natural, at the natural situation and looks for natural solutions. How many times have you ever heard, and I've heard this, I really heard it in 2008 when the, the big crash came on. I, I heard from, from people that said, you know, <clears throat> they just need to get to Washington, get the 10 smartest guys, and, and put the 10 smartest guys into a room and let them figure this out. Blasphemers here, they are looking to natural means, and they're looking to the, the, the smart guys. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. I've said the, the, the greatest temptation any pastor will ever have is when, when somebody comes to them with a problem and they will ask it. I've had it asked of me more times than I can count. What do I do, pastor? What do I do? You know what my stock answer is? I don't know. I can tell you what the Word says about, in general about problems like that. I will tell you there are several things you need to do. You need to pray. You need to, to, to get before God. You need to get in the scriptures. 
You need there. There are there are things that 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 are generally true, but in in your case for your life for this moment, my initials are not HS, meaning I am not the Holy Spirit, and you need to hear from Him, for two very good reasons, and they're selfish on my part. If if I tell you to do something and you do it and it works, then boy, you've just put me right there. I am the source of your inspiration. I am the source of what you need. The, the answer, when you have problems, you'll start coming to me and depending on me to get answers. And if you try it and it fails, then I'm the problem. I don't want to be in either one of those spots. I want you to get before God and stay before Him until He tells you what to do. Because when he tells you what to do, it will work every time. It may take a while. It may not be a, a, a pleasant journey. You may have some, some real problems along the way. But it will eventually work out to your good. And when he tells you what to do and, and it works, he gets the credit. And he becomes bigger in your eyes. He doesn't actually become bigger. God's infinite. But he can become bigger in your mind. And you can trust him for the next thing. <clears throat> Blasphemers, don't, they just don't even think that way. And I'm, I am going to close with this one. The last one I'm going to cover today is disobedient to parents. There was a general attitude in the ancient world. They revered parents. In, in ancient Rome, when, when this epistle was, was written, um, if, you, if you were a child and you struck your father... Just slapped him. That was, a, that was a crime punishable by death. That's pretty serious. Crime carries the death penalty. Now, where, where we see this today, it, it, we see it in, in children being disobedient to parents. Boy, as a school teacher, I had, to, I had to sit on myself more than once when I heard kids, parents would come to, to school with their kids, there was an issue, and the kids would start cursing at them yelling at them, and I'm telling you, it, sometimes it took all I, I had in me to not snatch them up and put them up against the wall. But it wasn't my place, so I couldn't do it. Plus the fact if the parents allow that, not much I can do to stop it. That is one manifestation of this, but what you also see, and I think in the part of this end-time delusion the, the bigger manifestation is people just want to do away with thousands and thousands and thousands of years of, of established cultural norms. I mean, it, it hasn't taken very long. 50 years ago, 60 years ago, there were men and there were women. And that's where you got married. One man, one woman. Today, people are wanting to, they're, they're wanting to have, have um, oh, I forget the name for it now. They actually have a name for it, where, where you'll have one wife with three husbands or two husbands or, or three wives with one husband or three wives with two husbands. I mean, they're, they, and, and, and they've also got people, they're wanting to marry their dog. They're wanting to marry a cat. They, I mean, it, it is that diluted. They are taking 
just basic rules of culture and the, the things that, that, that our fathers, generations have said, this is how culture works. This is how life works. And they now, that's a bunch of old dead white men. We need to be very careful before we throw out long-standing guides of behavior. I mean, the, the, the honoring of parents was so important that that was one of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. That means God took it pretty serious. Are there places where, where we think, well, that, I understand that's what the Bible teaches, but you know, that's just, that doesn't fit into today's world. You're on thin ice when you start having those thoughts. And they will come. If you're in the world, they will come. It's how you meet them that counts. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.